Blog Talk Radio. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. All right, everybody, this is Brother Frank, and welcome to another episode of The Remnant Call, and I'm glad to be here with you. And I just want to say praise God for Brad Huddleston being on last week and talking uh, about the darkness that is in technology today and how it's affecting us, it's affecting our children. But the best part is, if you listen to the end, there is deliverance, even from these technologies that have so bound up folks, and we need to be aware of what is distracting and pulling us away because we need to be laser-focused on what God wants us to do. Folks, listen, we've been talking about it. It will happen. It will come to pass. The Lord is coming, and things eventually one day, they will make a change so bad that you won't even be able to listen to a podcast. You won't be able to listen to this stuff on the YouTube anymore because times will change. We must have the Word of God hidden in our heart and ready to move forward and be ready at any moment to declare a testimony of Jesus Christ to anyone who should ask. And with that, let's pray. Father, in Yeshua's name, thank you for the blessing that you give. I ask that you would help me, Lord, to just be simply a vessel on this uh, program. And Lord, you know the challenges we face as a family. Um, thank you for your mercies and healings and everything. And Lord, you know challenges with work. Uh, God, I'm asking right now that everything be laid down at the altar and that this show be solely dedicated to you. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for all the prayers for my wife, and we just appreciate it. Uh, it has been a blessing, and oh, folks, we have been so blessed by friends and family around here who have just stepped up and showed the love of God, bringing food, uh, just blessing us, and thank God for that. You know, folks, there was times when I felt so alone. I had no friends at all, hardly. It seemed like I was the only one around that really cared about the things of God. But, you know, folks, over times we have seasons, but then God brings people also into our lives at times. So if you're in a dry spot, hold out. God has people that we can fellowship with that share the same desires that we do. Sometimes it seems like you're all alone, but Elijah felt the same way when the Lord had to remind him, hey, wait a second, I've got seven more who haven't bowed the knee yet to Baal. And that's the Lord has people around. And I want to say thank you, Father, for that blessing that you've given us. Folks, uh, as we get into tonight's show, the scroll of destiny and the book of creation, I have one prayer request. I have a big meeting about the company that I run and uh, how the Lord should lead that in the future, um, what I should do and decisions should be made. And so I pray that you would help me to see clearly the Lord's desire and not for my desires to override what his will is. 
and thank you all for praying for that. But I want to start tonight with a story, a true story, about my brother. My brother's 13 years younger than me. Um, you know, by the time he was uh, getting up there and r going in life, I was already taken off heading to the Marines. And so growing up, you know, I, I knew him well as when he was a little kid, but we didn't have a real close relationship so much as being 13 years difference. But I remember when he was young, I was in Okinawa, and I got a call that he had been in an accident. And so I flew home. Uh, from Okinawa to be with my brother to see what was going on, um, and, and it was a it was an accident that scared my parents to death. You see, my step grandma thought it would be okay and, and didn't mean anything by it that he they were driving in the back country roads of West Virginia, and then my brother would just get up and walk without a seatbelt on from the back to the front, um, and and so he did. And when that happened, we think we guessed that maybe she was reaching over to put the seatbelt on him. And the car ran over and threw him out the window, and the minivan actually rolled on my brother. This was such a traumatic experience, but thank God he lived. But all those years growing up, my brother suffered with this scar that he had on his forehead, and he was ashamed and embarrassed of it. And it was really difficult for him, and he'd always grow his hair out long in the front so that it could cover up because he was embarrassed at this huge scar. He never could understand why he would have to carry this scar around his whole life. Well, it didn't get easier as he got older. Of course, you know, your girl's interested in you and everything. But then one day about – I think it was about seven or eight years ago maybe, my parents were out riding, stepdad and my brother, and – um they were with my uncle, and they were on a road trip on motorcycles, and my brother went around the turn and lost control of the bike and had another life-threatening accident. But this one was so bad, they had to life-flight him to the hospital. And so you can imagine, here my parents are, second time around, thinking, okay, we can now lose our – we almost lost him once. Now we're going to potentially lose him again. And a little while you know, later, after all this was going on, the doctor came out and was talking to him and talked to, uh, to talking to my parents and was saying, hey, you know, what had happened? And they had talked and noticed that he had a lot of scar tissue around his spleen. And so my mother and stepdad had explained how when he was young, how he was thrown out of a car and uh, his spleen was injured and things like that. And, and, and that's where that all came from. And the doctor looked at him and said that accident he had when he was a child saved his life. You see, had he not had that accident, that scar tissue would not have protected his spleen to keep it from being severed. The Lord had saved his life when he was a young kid. And could you imagine, would you imagine what it would have been like growing up as a parent, knowing this happened to your child, but knowing that the reason this happened, that this accident took place, was that one day this accident as a kid was going to save his life when he was older. Could you imagine? Could you imagine where you would feel when you looked at a scar on your forehead and you, instead of feeling shame, you said, you know what, this was terrible. But one day, this scar, this action that happened to me, and this terrible thing as a child that happened to me is going to save my life. It was almost like 
he was destined to have that accident to save him from another accident when he was older. Now, I'm not saying the Lord allow, would cause an accident, but I'm saying God used what was bad, and he turned it in to something that was amazing and shocking and witnessed to everybody that heard that story how my brother's accident saved his life when he was older. When God is at work, folks, he turns tragedy into testimony. Turn with me to Psalm 139, the scroll of destiny in the book of creation. Psalm 139, 1-16, you all know this very well, but I just want to read it because this is such a very powerful psalm. And I think if you listen closely, you're going to see something you've never seen before. O oh Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsides and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compass my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whether shall I go from thy spirit or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. So King David, is he's contemplating this unbelievable glory of God. And that no matter what happens, no matter where he goes in life, no matter whether he's standing up or sitting down or going to bed or waking up, no matter if he backslides or he's following the Lord, if he's made his bed in hell, it doesn't matter. This knowledge is so powerful that no matter where he is, God is always there with him. Verse 9, if I take the wings of the morning... And dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me, yea, the darkness hideth not from me from thee, but the night shineth as the day, the darkness as the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, and you know the next words, folks, if you've ever read this before, when it says, For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. That is such a powerful scripture that's so often quoted. When he sees all of this wonderful things that God has done and how he's so fearfully and wonderfully made, and he's at all struck at the absolute glory of God. And you look out here and wonder how people can kill their babies today well, if they could just understand that the actual work that God puts into you when he brings you into this world and how mighty and powerful it is. And as amazing as this verse is and how much I love it, so often people stop reading right there. And folks, it's after this that the Bible just absolutely blows my mind. Let's continue reading in verse 15. My substance was not hid from thee 
when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. So what he's saying here is, God, even when I was nothing but a molecule, when I'm just in this unrecognizable form, Lord, you're, you're there with me. And when I'm in the secret and, and, and you're, you're by me and, and I'm not perfect, I'm, I look like nothing, but yet, Lord, you're there with me. And then it says, and in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. What he's saying is, God, when I was nothing, you knew I was going to be something. And you wrote down in this book, folks, this book of creation that God actually has, where he writes down when your body parts are going to be created. So you th think that you may have just happened by chance that people in the world say, oh, you are just, you know, this random act of, of, of evolution. And God says, no, I have written down in the book the days of your creation when you're going to come together, even though you're not yet. I am writing down how you're going to be. The Lord has a book of creation, and it's written just for you. And for me and for all of us. Because God cares about his creation. You see, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and it's amazing, but God says even before we come together, he's making notes about the days that that eye is going to open, that your mouth is going to be formed, that your arms are going to be formed. And as I heard one person say, the day that the slits are cut in your eyes perfectly so you can see. You know, I love the King James. It's my version of choice. But I want to read this to you in the ESV uh, just because I, I want you to hear the way it's framed. When it says this in, in Psalm 139.15, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book where written every one of them, the days that were formed of me, when as yet there was none of them. Folks, that's just so marvelous. Fearfully, wonderfully made, but under the influence of the spirit of the living God through his servant David. He allows David to look under the electron microscope recorded in the book of life to see what it is like when God records you before you are even you. When you were just a molecule. David was saying to all of us by the spirit of God, the Lord has a plan for our lives. He had a destiny in mind for you and me to be part of his kingdom. Look what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God 
ultimately desires the plan of your, to, uh, for your life, the destiny of who you would become is a full-fledged follower of him so that one day you would be united together in paradise with the Lord for all eternity. God had creation in mind that everyone everywhere would follow the Lord. This was the destiny of mankind. But you see, God in his loving mercy, bound by his own description of who he is, because God said that he defined himself as love, and love can never be forced. God allows us the right to choose whether you will follow him to fulfill the desires, or will you set your own path away from God? You see, the Bible says it's not his will that any should perish, right? But that all, all would come to repentance. The choice is yours, brother and sisters. But know this one thing, that our Heavenly Father will never give up. Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The Word of God says this, After this I looked and beheld a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things where there must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper, and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And the round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Folks, look it up. It's in the book of Isaiah. So here John, the revelator, is transported up into heaven, right into the center of the kingdom of God. And when he gets there, he is confronted with the majesty and the glory of looking upon the very throne of the Ancient of Days. He's looking at the seat of the Most High Yahweh out of our Heavenly Father, and the Father is surrounded by the 24 elders that were wearing white raiment and golden crowns. And if you read on, the four living creatures that are there also, and this holy place is so holy and overwhelming that the 24 elders worshiping in pure holiness are so overtaken that they literally take off their crowns and throw them back. At the feet of the Lord. Listen to what happens. Revelation chapter 4 verses 10 and 11. The four and the twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him that lived forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Even though they are clothed in white and in white, and they're crowned with golden crowns. They can't take it, and they throw their crowns at the Lord's feet and cry out that the Lord is the one who is holy. They have no desire to be lifted up in their own eyes. All they want to do is worship the Lord. See, folks, where are we at today? I'm talking to all of us right now. Where are you at? Where am I at today? Do we care about the accolades of this world? Do we care about our accomplishments? Or do we want to just worship the Lord? These beings 
these 24 elders, these living creatures, all this heavenly host, they're in the presence of God. They're all living holy. They're living by the most holy of all. And they're living there. And all they want to do is worship. See, folks, when you, when you come into that zone where you are frustrated with the world and you're seeing everything going on and you can't stand what's happening here, but yet you're close to God, the desire to worship will well up inside of you that even when you're in the midst of tragedy, you're going to want to worship and praise. Even when you're in the midst of everything falling apart, people saying bad things about you, you've been done wrong in church and work and whatever it may be, you still must worship the Lord. That is what is happening when you are living in the power of holiness. And John looks over in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1. Because see, the stage had been now set. Something is about to happen. John had read the description of the throne of God in the Word, and he knows how the Lord is moving, that there is lightning round about him, but there's now something different. See, he had read the old descriptions of the throne that's contained in different places in the Bible, but now there's something else that's going on around the throne. There is now not only just lightning, but there is thunder and lightning, and they're coming out of the throne of God, signaling that something big is about to take place and be witnessed by all the hosts of heaven. Something is different about the throne of God right now. And in Revelation chapter one, this is what John says, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. So John is in the midst of the heavenly worship. The Holy Communion has his eyes drawn to the right hand of the Heavenly Father. And when he sees this scroll, that it is written on both sides, and the scroll is sealed with seven seals within and without. And if you read further in the book of Revelation, we will see that this scroll is the scroll of destiny, and that it has written on it how the Lord will bring about the final redemption of this world. It records how the Lord will once and for all deal with evil and violence and injustice, the hatred, the pain, the sufferings, and the chaos of our broken and messed up world. This scroll has written on it how the Lord will take this world from its disorder to order, from evil to holiness, from suffering to peace, and from pain to joy. That is written on both sides tells us that it contains the full account of what God in his sovereignty has determined as the destiny of this world. But there is a problem. Look at me what it says in verse 2 and 3. Look at me, folks, what it says in verse 2 and 3. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. John sees the power of the truth that is contained in the scroll, but it was sealed by the Most High. So a search goes out all over heaven and earth, the universe wide, under earth, everywhere goes out to find somebody who is worthy to open the scroll. 
And in the midst of a holy God with all of his holy creation surrounding him, the Ancient of Days has his scrolls, and he's surrounded by the 24 elders and, and the four living creatures and the other hosts of heaven. And they're, they're living in holiness. And the problem is that even though the Father's looking in the midst of this holy congregation, he realizes that nobody is worthy to open the scroll. Not the 24 elders, not the four living creatures. Gabriel couldn't open it. The cherubim couldn't do it. No matter how holy their life was, folks, understand this. No matter how holy they were, it didn't matter how clean they were. It didn't matter how good they followed the commands of God. None of them was worthy to open or even look upon what was written in that scroll. scroll. And John broke when he saw this, folks. And verse 4, it says, And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. How could this be that in the midst of all this holy, worthy, so-called looking people, you would think the 24 elders, the four living creatures, the throne, God, the guardians of God's throne, that there was no one worthy. John was devastated. He was absolutely devastated. He knew the scroll of destiny was meant to be opened because then it contained the destiny of the final events of this world. But he was crushed when no one could. And so out of John's brokenness, weeping in tears, he can't, you know, he's broken. And you know what it's like. John sees one of the 24 elders comes over to him and listen to what he says. And one of the elders says unto him, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. He said, John, John the elders saying to him, John, stop weeping, man. I know it looks hopeless, John, but don't cry. There is one who's worthy. He is the lion of Judah, the root of David. John, he's worthy to loosen the seals on the scroll. So John looks up expecting. He heard him say it was the lion of Judah. And when he looks up and to see the lion in all his power, instead, what does he see? Through the tears in his eyes, he sees a lamb that had been slain. Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. And behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. At that moment, John sees it wasn't the worship it wasn't the holy living. It wasn't about being born into the right family, the son or the daughter of a prophet, or a great preacher or pastor, or perfect in all obedience. At that moment, it was simply about the blood. The blood of the lamb 
the one who looked down on this broken and fallen earth and said he was willing to lay everything down for you and I. The one who came while we were yet sinners that was rejected by his own. He still thought we were worth it. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus looked down and knew that he would pay the hardest price ever paid. And he said it was joy knowing that his sacrifice would be rewarded with the gift of salvation to a world who didn't deserve it. For the joy that was set before him. Do you see what he's saying? For the gift, for knowing that you would be saved, for knowing that he could rescue you from your life of sin. His, he was willing to suffer the cross, the despise, the shame, the humiliation, being hung naked up there. He was willing to suffer that because it was joy knowing you would be rescued no matter how much it hurt. He was the only one that was worthy to open the scroll of destiny. A few weeks ago, about a month now and some, my wife went through a rough surgery. She had a mass. She had to have a double mastectomy. My wife had such high numbers. She has the gene for cancer. Her mother died of cancer, and my wife, she wanted to do this. I said, honey, I'll support, you know, what you want to do. And the doctor said, well, we don't think the mass is cancer yet, but we don't know until we get in there. And you know what runs through your minds, right? You know, you're praying and you're trying to stand in faith and keep a good attitude and believe in God and all that stuff. But in the back of your mind, you start to wonder, what if? And so my wife went through the surgery and it went well and amazing and everything. And we hadn't heard back yet about the results. And, you know, of course, you got to wait for that. That can seem like an eternity. And a couple, about two Fridays ago, I was having one of the worst days I've had. And I remember how I called my wife and I told her, I don't ever usually do this. I said, honey, I said, I am so stressed right now because of work and what's going on. I said, I feel like I could have a heart attack. I said, honey, please pray for me. And my wife's like, I'm praying for you. And it was one of the worst days I could imagine. We had so much stress and pressure going on simultaneously. It was so intense. And I'm used to intense pressure, but this was a day unlike others. And after all this, going later on in the day, my wife finally calls me up. And she's like, honey, I got the – and all I could think about was myself at that moment, what I was going through. And she said, honey, I got the results back. And, I, you know, and kind of I'm like, oh, okay, you know, trying to come back into reality and listen to what she says. And my wife says – Everything's clear. I don't have anything. The lymph nodes that looked bad, the mass that looked bad, it's clear. And I thought to myself, if that's the day of hell I had to go through in order to find out the results that my wife was clean from cancer, I would suffer it over and over again. 
to know that that was going to be the result. You see, folks, that's what Christ did when he saw you and me in the mess we were in. He knew that there was pain, but he understood the destiny of what was going to happen with this sacrifice, that you would be destined for something greater because of the price that he would pay. And many of you are struggling and suffering right now, and you're wondering if God still cares. And I'm trying to tell you, folks, he does, and you are destined to be with him in his kingdom if you will allow him. Folks, God gives us a choice, but he does everything he can to help us make the right one without forcing us. He was destined to pay the ultimate price. He was destined to open the scroll. You were destined to be written in a book of creation. And God said it's worth it. He would pay it because you were to be with him one day. He is the lamb that was sacrificed from the foundations of this world. Folks, God has got a work for us to do in these last days. He's paid the price He's, going to, he's worthy to open the scroll, and all the plans are all taken care of. We just got to remember, he is in control. I would pay that price over and over any time, no matter what, to hear the good news that my family was in good health. Folks, God will do anything to save his children. This is Brother Frank on the Remnant Call saying to everybody, good night and shalom. I'm